We'll read one verse of Scripture, and then I will reference a second verse of Scripture. It's a message I've taught on love many times, so some of this will be familiar to you, I am sure, but it's always a good refresher, and for those of you that haven't heard it before, it is absolutely necessary that you do hear it. Genesis chapter 24, and in fact, um, uh, let's, let's pick up about uh, verse 63. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she got down off her camel. And she said unto the servant, Who is this man that walketh in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master, it is Isaac. This is the one you are coming to marry. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother's tent and took Rebekah. And she became his wife, and he loved her. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the Word of God. The title of the message today is this, Love is Not a Feeling. Abraham is now later in life. He had already gone to Mount Moriah to be tested by God and, of course, had passed that test. He'd now gone on and his wife, Sarah, had died. And now he felt compelled because of the lateness of his hour to find a son for his beloved son, uh, Isaac. And he didn't want Isaac to be married to one of the Canaanites because of the paganism and, and the idolatry that was in that land. So he sent his chief steward off to his homeland to find a woman to be Isaac's wife. And his steward, Eliezer, went and did what was entrusted him to do. And he found this, this woman, Rebekah, a, a, a distant relative. And Rebekah had agreed to become Isaac's wife without ever meeting him or seeing him. And it says that Isaac loved Rebekah without ever having met her, knowing her, or seeing her. And our Scripture text says this morning, and this is the point we want to make, Isaac took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. That's kind of odd, isn't it? It doesn't say that as soon as he saw her, he was so attracted to her that it was love at first sight. As you saw, as we read the text this morning, Rebecca, in fact, covered herself with a veil when she first met Isaac. It doesn't say that he fell in love with her as they dated for a long period of time, and because of his tender mercies, he loved her and decided to marry her. No, it says that he married her, and he loved her. Now, we don't know from Scripture exactly how long Isaac and Rebekah were married, but we do know that it was at least 50 years and possibly twice that long as Isaac lived to the ripe old age of 180. And ladies and gentlemen, I am not advocating for arranged marriages, but my point is this. If couples could spend a lifetime together having never met before their wedding day and love each other, how is it that so many modern Christian marriages fail when we select the person and we select the date and we willingly enter into the covenant of marriage with the person that we choose to marry. How is it that we claim to fall out of love? Folks, this morning we'll make several observations about the kind of love that never fails. 
and the love upon which our marriages are commanded to be built upon. By the way, if God gives us a commandment to do something, He always gives us the ability to obey that commandment. First observation is this. First, what is love? Now, folks, this is where much of the confusion in the modern American church comes from. I mean, we use love so loosely. I love the bears. I hate the cowboys. I love donuts. I love my children. I love my wife. Well, boy, that's a pretty broad range, don't you think? Well, folks, the reality is that there are four different words in the Greek language, all very different, all with very different meanings that are all translated into the word love in the English and when we note those differences, then there is no question. It doesn't become, it's not confusing at all. First of all, there's the word storge. Now, this is a familial love. This is the kind of love that a mother would have for a child or children would have for their parents. Or this could even be the kind of love that a, that a man or a woman has for their pet or something along those lines. So this is the familial love. Then there's the word eros. From this word, we get erotic. This is the intimate physical love that God created to be held sacred only within the boundaries and bonds of the marital covenant. Then there is the word phileo. Folks, this is what is commonly called attraction or fondness. This is a responsive love. It's a very natural love, but this is a conditional love. For example, if Cindy only loved me because I had an incredible hairline when we were dating in college then she would cease to love me now because the hairline is not what it once was. If Cindy only loved me because of my abdominal muscles, she would have quit loving me about six months after we got married. But it's a conditional love. I love donuts. But let me tell you, there was a period of time during my cancer treatment that I didn't. You know why? My taste buds went away. The radiation killed my taste buds. I couldn't taste anything. Consequently, it was keep food away from me. So it was a conditional love. Because of the response, I had a positive fondness toward that. Okay? Now, the final love is the word agape. This is God's love. This is the word that's used in John 3.16 and other verses, and we'll note it later. But this is an unconditional, active, serving love. This has nothing to do with feelings or emotions. This is an active will, and excuse me, an act of the will resulting in deliberate action. Now, folks, when we understand these different definitions of love, that clears up a lot of confusion in the Bible. When I say that I love my neighbor, it's not the same kind of love that I have for my wife or for my children. And you notice the things that we've talked about here. Agape love has nothing to do with warm, fuzzy feelings. Now, you can have multiple types of love for the same person. And in fact, in a Christian marriage, you should have multiple types of love. Obviously, as we're going to talk about here in a, in a minute, our, our home life should be built on agape. But obviously, I want to be sweet to my wife. I want to love my wife. I want to be kind to my wife, which will cause her to have those warm, fuzzy feelings towards me. That's that phileo love. So we've got agape and phileo. If we've got agape and phileo, we should, in fact, have a, 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 if we're, a, well, I'll not go any further. We'll stop there. There should be other forms of love also in a healthy marital relationship. However, there's one type of love that we are commanded to have, and upon it your marriage rests 
and will stand the test of time. Observation number two. This agape love we are commanded to have is not an emotional feeling. Let me give you one example. In Titus, Paul is writing to the Gentile Christian pastor named Titus, giving him instructions for church behavior and administration. And one of the things he is governing here or commanding here is how the elderly women were supposed to, in fact, mentor the younger women. And pick up on the B part of this verse. It says that they may teach the younger women to be self-controlled, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be gracious and pure, to be good homemakers, to be good, to be obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So the older women were to mentor the younger women and teach them to love their husbands and to love their children. But wait a minute, pastor. Don't women love their children instinctively? Folks, there is a difference between that natural affection and then actively giving of oneself to another. Affection may be natural. Attraction may be conditional. But agape love is active, it's obedient, and it's sacrificial. Observation number three. This agape love is not conditional love. In John chapter 13, verse 1, we see Jesus and His disciples in the upper room. And before it goes into the details of what took place up there, verse 1 makes this statement. It says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. That is the word agape. Now, folks, we're going to go on later in this very chapter, and we're going to find out that one of these men in the room would, in fact, betray Jesus. We're going to find out that the other eleven all abandoned Jesus in the hour that He needed them most. So Jesus, it says, loved them unto the end, even though He knew they would all, in fact, abandon Him. Folks, that is an unconditional, active love. That is a demonstration of agape love. Now, observation number four. Agape love is love in action. It's the giving of oneself to another, and it is an act of obedience. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, for God so agape the world. Well, so what? Oh, here's so, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You see the direct connection there? That's that agape love. It results in action. Look at Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated His agape toward us. Well, how so? And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, look around the world. Read the newspapers. We're not all that lovable. Mankind is worth, uh, worthy of judgment. In fact, we get more wicked, it seems, every day. Yet even in spite of all that, it says that God chose to love us. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Notice the connection. This love is not in the abstract. It's not something that was just uh, mentioned. It was actively, demonstrably, tangibly demonstrated. Jesus didn't just say, I love you. He demonstrated His love for us by giving His life for us. Now, is everybody still with me? 
Understand there are four kinds of love. One is, a, is what we are commanded to have for others within the body. It is this kind of love we're even supposed to have for our enemies. But it is this kind of love to the nth degree that we are to build our marital relationships on. Now, let's make some applications. There are two ways to live life. One, the feelings-oriented life, focused on serving yourself. Or two, the commandment-oriented life of holiness and obedience to God. Now, here's what's ironic. The more focused you are on serving yourself, the more miserable you'll become. There is no way you can possibly satisfy trying to fulfill the lusts of your flesh. The more you get, the more you want. However, the more surrendered you are to serving God with a life of obedience, submitting your will to His, then the more content you will become. This is what Jesus is referring to when He says, He who is willing to lose His life for my sake will actually find it. A perfect example of this is the life of Solomon. Of course, Solomon was David's son. Solomon was heir to the throne. And Solomon was originally a very godly king. But Solomon, in the midst of his comfort and in the midst of his pleasures, wound up taking his eyes off of the Lord, losing his joy, and trying to replace joy with happiness. Folks, let me just tell you something. The most dangerous time in all of our lives is when things are going really, really well. I don't know about you, but my prayer life is much better during hard times than it is during the good times. When things are going just dandy, we say, Lord, you can take the week off. I've got it under control. But when you're sick, when your kids are in a, in a, in a stressful situation, then boy, oh boy, you're on your knees begging God for, for intervention and for, for action. Well, Solomon had been in a time of comfort and plenty. And as such, he took his eyes off the Lord, lost his joy, tried to replace it. And, and the wonderful thing is, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon gives us an account of a systematic experimentation trying to find happiness. And Solomon filled that void with everything. And I will not go into detail, but everything that the world tells us that we need to be happy, Solomon tried. And let me just tell you this. There is never enough money. There is never enough power. There is never enough fame. There is never enough pride. There is never enough licentiousness to satisfy the lusts of your flesh. And Solomon discovered that. But folks, that's where the world is today. And it always has been. The world today is filled with lust, not love. The world today is, is, is carried about by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. It's all about you and your feelings and what makes you feel good. The world says, I love you, but what it really means is I lust after you. I want to touch you. I, you. I want you to make me feel good. Ladies and gentlemen, you will never be content unless you are surrendered and obediently serving because that's what God designed us for. Love is not getting. Love is giving. And by the way, love is not being governed by your feelings. In fact, the Scripture says you can't even trust your feelings. And folks, let me just ask you this. Since when are we governed by our feelings? By the way, none of you are. Let me give you an example. When the alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning, how many of you are going to feel like getting out of bed and going to work? Yeah, there's a big laugh right there because you know 
Not a one of you. Every one of you feels like turning the clock off, rolling over, and sleeping for a couple more hours. But then you're going to get up, call your boss, and say, listen, I just didn't feel like coming in this morning. I hope you understand. No. None of us are governed by our feelings. None of us want to get up, but every one of us, knowing that we have responsibility, we have bills to pay, we have a job to do, all of us will overcome our feelings by obediently adhering to our responsibility. By the way, is it work sometimes to do what you know you should do when you don't want to do it? Yes, it is. But you don't listen to your feelings. You do what is right. You do what you're commanded to do. And at the end of the day, aren't you glad that you did? Ladies, let me ask you, those of you that have children or have had children, when it's 3 a.m. and that baby starts crying, I see one right back here, do you want to get up and go feed the baby? No. You want to put a pillow over your head and roll over and ignore that little beggar. However, you overcome your feelings and you get up and you do what you're supposed to do and you take care of your baby. Ladies and gentlemen, we overcome our feelings all the time because we know it's the right thing to do. And at the end of the day, we're happy that we chose to overcome our feelings and do the right thing. And at the end of the day, we actually reap the blessings from it. Now, listen to me. Love, agape love, the foundation of our, of our homes is not based upon feelings. Feelings change. Often they're wrong. Our love is not based upon emotions. We are up one day and we're down the next. True love, lasting love, is a commitment. It is an act of obedience. Let me pause for a moment and let that settle. Now, let me say this. We used to know this. In fact, it's just been until the last couple of decades when we've come up with this idea of easy divorce that we have forgotten. And let me remind you of what I'm talking about. We used to take our wedding vows, not our wedding tries as long as I feel like it. And what are those wedding vows? Well, let me show you what I give to our congregation when I perform a wedding. Here is a portion of it. It says, I take your name. Take you, that is your beloved's name, to be my wedded, that's either husband or wife. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, biologically and biblically, there's only two options there. God created them male and female. Male and female created he them. Therefore, this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And that husband and wife shall become one, ikad, in the Lord. So... I will ask the one, I will say, I, you take your name, take thee, you say her name, to be my lawful and wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, I pledge to thee my agape. Now, folks, where in there does it say, I'll try? Where in there does it say, as long as I feel like it? You'll notice every phrase in there, from this day forward, unconditional. For better, for worse, unconditional. For richer, for poorer, unconditional. In sickness, in cancer, and in health, unconditional. As I saw with my mother and my dad, as a stroke victim, and in health. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? I sat there and watched my lovely mother 
care for my father 24 hours a day for about two years when dad was unable to care for himself. You know what? There was no responsive love there. Dad couldn't sit down and say, honey, tell me about your day. Dad could no longer put his arm around his wife and hug her up close and say, don't worry, dear. Everything's going to be okay. My dad was in bed, unable to move, unable to speak. He could do nothing for mom as far as a conditional relationship. But let me tell you what, there was not a day that went by that my mother wasn't there taking care of my father because that's what the wedding vows are and that's what agape love is, an unconditional act of the will. But folks, look at this. Where is there any conditions for better, for worse? Unconditional. Richer, for poorer? Unconditional. Sickness and health? Unconditional. To love and to cherish till death do us part. That's the design. And by the way, that is well within our ability. Now, let me define for you in case you've forgotten. And by the way, if you are a young married, uh, you need to listen to this. If you are about to get married, you absolutely need to listen to this. If you are an old married, you need to listen to this. If you used to be married and may counsel someone that will one day get married, you need to listen to this as well. So basically, everybody in here needs to listen to this. Because the devil uses this deception of being governed by our feelings to destroy the home in America. Now, let's see what agape is. Fortunately for us, the Apostle Paul knew that one day, 2,000 years later, we were actually going to ask this question and preach a sermon on it on Sunday morning. Fortunately, the Apostle Paul gave us the answers so we can reference it. We call it the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul gives us some definition of what agape actually means. And he gives here, it says, love, by the way, the same word agape translated charity here in the King James Bible. But that is the same word that's translated love everywhere else. Quite frankly, I like this translation. Because it's not actually charity until I reach in my pocket and take it out and actively give it away. As long as it's here, it's just mine. But charity is love in action. Agape is love in action. Agape suffers long. What does that mean? Agape is patient. Agape is slow to anger. Agape is long-tempered. Agape is kind. What's that mean? Well, tell me, what is unkind? Everybody knows what that means. Love is patient and kind. Now, let me just remind you, those of you that have been married for an extended period of time, or those of you that are considering getting married, when you say, oh, I love you, what does that mean? Well, typically, as I've already expressed, it means you give me warm, fuzzy feelings. When I look at you, you're attractive, therefore I have a positive response. That is not what you sign up for when you get married. That may be fine when you're walking down the street and say, oh, my, isn't that an attractive person? Wonderful. And that may be something that, uh, that causes you guys to begin noticing each other and then finding out that that person is a committed Christian because the Bible doesn't tell us to marry attractive people. The Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So you want a happy marriage, you find somebody that loves Jesus and is going to be surrendered to Jesus in their lives. But when you say, honey, I love you, you're saying, honey, I am going to be patient with you. That is my pledge. Honey, I am going to be kind. 
to you. By the way, you go to the next one. It says love is not jealous. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Love is humility. Love is service. Love is sacrifice. Love doesn't behave itself unseemly. That's a 1611 way of saying love doesn't misbehave or act rudely. I mean, just ask you, men, and I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, have you been sarcastic or rude to your wife at all this week? Ladies, have you been sarcastic or rude to your husband at all this week? goes both ways. Love is not self-seeking. Folks, let me understand. I've said, I've said already that love means sacrificial service. Let me tell you what this is. You've got God. God created Adam. God said, boy, the work I've done is outstanding. Nevertheless, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. You know what that means? That means I'm going to give him exactly what he needs. I'm going to complete Adam. I'm going to give him everything that he is lacking right now. Now, God could have done anything at that point in time. For those that are arguing for the LGBT agenda, God could have made another man, but He didn't. God said, I will. I wonder what God's will is. Well, we can look and see what God did next. God didn't take another lump of dirt and make a separate individual. God took a part of Adam so that a part of Adam was missing. And Adam needed to be reconnected with his rib. And from that missing part, Adam, God made Adam's completer. And God brought them together and said, What I have brought together, don't let any man try to sever apart. Agape is sacrificial servant love. And here's what I'm supposed to do as a, as a husband. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I'm supposed to do is pray as a Christian. Boy, I'm afraid to start a day without the Lord. I don't know about you. But I just wind up making a... Next thing you know, I'm, I've driven in the ditch somewhere. I need the Lord's help. And I need the Lord's protection. By the way, we're also to stop for a moment and thank God for how good He is. Folks, when's the last time you thank God that we live in the dispensation of indoor plumbing? Think about it. When's the last time you thank God that we live in Oklahoma, yet we live in the dispensation of air conditioning? Boy, I'm grateful for that. I can remember not having an air-conditioned car. I remember having a, a, a 255 air conditioner in my Volkswagen Super Beetle. A 255 was two windows rolled down driving 55 miles an hour. Folks, there are so many things that we should be grateful for that we don't even stop to think about. Start today thanking God for how good He is. Folks, let me tell you, the greatest thing is the gift of eternal life, but we can't even get there because there's a never-ending list of other things we can thank God for. So start the day with thanking God, and then once you get through with that prayer, your next thought should be, how can I take care of my spouse today? How can I make her life easier? How can I make her life better? Consequently, I'm going to be seeking to try to make sure that all of her needs are taken care of. Not all of her wants, but all of her needs, as the Scripture says, in the Lord. Consequently, she's content. She's happy. 
What about me? Well, as a Christian, her responsibility every day is to get up, begin the day by thanking God for how good He is, praying for our kids, praying for this, praying for that. Then her responsibility is to say, Lord, how can I take care of my husband today? Guess who's been given the responsibility for taking care of my needs? That lady over there. And here's how this works. As I am busy taking care of her needs and she is busy taking care of my needs, we don't just come together, but we literally become one. I remember one time I carelessly made a statement to my mother, not thinking about it. You know why? You know why older pastors are better? Because we've made more mistakes. We've learned a lot of lessons along the way. But I remember saying one thing to mom after dad had died. I said, boy, it must be terrible. It's like you two have been cut in two. And she said, no, it's more like we've been ripped apart. Because you're not just like this as husband and wife. You should be becoming like this. Where you are completely intertwined as you are taking care of, as he is taking care of her and she is taking care of him. So ladies and gentlemen, we are not to be self-seeking. We are to be serving at the expense of our mate. We are to be completing our mates. We are to be becoming one. Now notice the next thing love says. Agape is not easily provoked. In other words, agape doesn't fly off the handle into a rage easily. Now this can go either way. I've seen women that are hard to live with. Boy, you men are just afraid to amen. I'm loving it. You guys are literally shaking as you're sitting there. Please, Pastor, don't make me amen. Something's going to get me in trouble later. Please, oh, please stop. This goes along with that being patient part. You know, and I love when a couple comes into my office and, and the man says, Well, I just can't control my temper when I'm at home. I say, Really? And I say, How's the job search going? He'll go, What are you talking about? I said, well, if you can't control your temper, you must have gotten fired when you went off on your boss. Oh, I don't get mad at work. Oh, so you can control your temper. You just choose not to control your temper when you can be a big bully at home around your wife. Love thinks no evil. Oh, I love this. You look this up in your Strong's Concordance. Or, in fact, if you read it in your Jewish study Bible, it says this. Love doesn't keep record of wrongs. So, ladies, you can't bring up the fact that your husband forgot your birthday 12 years ago. Once you have forgiven him, then it's over, never to be mentioned again. I love you. Folks, this is what love means. I am patient with you. I am kind to you. I am not jealous of you. I am not going to misbehave or act rudely around you. I am not going to self be self-seeking. I am going to sacrificially serve you. I am not going to get angry easily. I am not going to keep score when, when you do something that, that irritates me. But I am going to keep score of all the blessings you are to me. Love doesn't root against one's mate. Love doesn't celebrate when they suffer. Love suffers along with your mate. And love also rejoices together with your mate. This love never breaks down, never loses faith, never loses hope, never gives up the benefit of the doubt unless proven otherwise. This love never wears out. This love will never fail. It doesn't matter whether you're about to get married or whether you've been married for 40 years. 
This is the foundation, folks. And this you have complete control over. Let me remind you again. When you say, I love you, that doesn't mean I've got warm, fuzzy emotions. What you are saying is, honey, I pledge to be patient with you. Honey, I pledge to be kind to you. Honey, I pledge to not act ugly. Honey, I pledge to not have a bad temper. Honey, I pledge to not keep score of wrongdoing. That's what agape love means in your home. Amen, Brother Paul. That's good preaching. I know good preaching when I hear it. If you don't amen me, I will amen myself. Now, here's the good thing, ladies and gentlemen. I know that every one of you can do this. We'll say, Pastor, you don't know me that well. How do you know I can do this? Because right now you're married. And you did this when you were dating. Trying to convince that person that they wanted to marry you. You remember when there was a time when you were totally, self, uh, uh, totally absorbed with each other? Where you were willing to give your time, your attention, and your money trying to convince your beloved that you were in fact made for each other? When you weren't together, you thought about the next time you were going to be together? Do you remember those days where you got on the phone when our phone was actually connected to the wall and you actually had to dial it? And you would just sit there with nothing to say and just breathe in the phone? You still there? Yeah. Love you, baby. Yeah, love you. Miss you. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, talking on the phone to me. Yeah. yeah. How are you? Love you. We always look our best. We were always on our best behavior. We were always courteous and well-dressed. And smelling good. The man was the perfect doting gentleman opening the door for his beloved, watching over his beloved, and his girlfriend was the consummate lady. Now, folks, understand the cause and effect. You're always giving to each other, considerate of each other, pampering each other, looking your best, smelling your best, on your best behavior, which stirs that responsive phileo love. And then with that foundational agape love combined with that attraction love, then that comes together for the desire for intimacy. And consequently, you get married. And you stand before me, you stand before the preacher, and you take those vows that we referenced a while ago. And then what happens? Folks, we begin taking each other for granted. You quit serving and start demanding. You quit showering and start snoring. You quit appreciating and start complaining. Ladies and gentlemen, marriage is not a scoreboard. Well, she bought this, so I can buy that. Well, she did this, so I can do that. By the way, no one wants to be around someone who's rude all the time or complaining all the time or selfish all the time. When that happens, there goes the phileo, that responsive love. And when your mate doesn't want to be around you, there goes those warm fuzzies, and there goes the desire for intimacy. You find that your needs are no longer being met by this person, that you, and you claim to have lost your feelings for one another, and then you wind up taking the easy way out, and then you wind up getting divorced, 
in going through this same cycle again, looking elsewhere for someone to fulfill what's missing in you. Folks, why is it that we work so hard to serve and to earn the affection of one whom we're dating, yet we neglect to serve and earn the affection daily of one to whom we're married? I'm commanded by God to love my wife with agape love. I'm commanded to give her my time, my resources, my affection. My goal each day is to serve her and to meet her needs in the Lord. And if I do my job, her needs are being met. She is content. Not only that, but since I am her provider and protector, as such, she's going to have warm, fuzzy feelings and affection stoked because of my kindness and service toward her. She, in kind, responds with agape love as she is my helpmate. She is to give her time and resources and affection toward me. Her goal each day is to serve and meet my needs in the Lord. As such, my affection towards her is stoked by her kindness and service to me. Ladies and gentlemen, agape love is a commandment. It is active obedience, and it never fails. The romantic intimacy, the warm affection, and the intimacy that comes with it should be byproducts of the agape. And if the agape never fails, then the byproducts of the agape, the phileo, the eros, also will never fail. Does that make sense to you? One author, Dr. J. Adams, said this, said, Love is not the silly, sticky, sentimental feeling that it has been made out to be. The feeling connected with love is wonderful and substantial because it is built on a solid foundation. The view that equates love with feeling subjects love to tides of emotion that ebb and flow. The feeling of love is really the fruit of love. Love has roots much deeper than feeling. Love first is the willingness to give of oneself to another, whether it be time or possessions or concern that is given. He must give in order to love. He must show love by doing loving acts according to the Scriptures, whether he feels like it or not. And if he does loving acts often enough, at length he usually begins to feel like doing them as well. Where one's treasure is, there is his heart also. If you've got your camera, you ought to take a picture of that and remember that. Now, folks, as you can probably tell by looking at me, I am not much for musicals. Uh, I am, in fact, <laughs> with Oklahoma State, I'm becoming not much for athletics. I may become a fan of musicals. Doc, I'll be over at your house later. We'll watch something. I'm not watching sports ever again. Now, think of how miserable my life is. I'm a Cubs fan. I'm a Bears fan. And I'm an Oklahoma State Cowboys fan. Boy, that's like three strikes right there, isn't it? In fact, I was thinking yesterday, I've spent more money at the University of Oklahoma than most of you getting my son through law school. Therefore, I am going to become an OU fan. I want to be happy from now on. <laughs> Tired of this nonsense? Boomer! There we go. All right, let's go, baby. At least you all can enjoy more of your football season. Your football season doesn't go down in flames until about the 12th week. Our season's over usually by week three, so. Yeah, there we go, there we go. 
As I started to say, I'm not much for musicals. However, I want to close today's message by showing you a clip from one of the two musicals I actually enjoy. It's called Fiddler on the Roof. And I began this message with an excerpt dealing with a Jewish family named Isaac and Rebecca. They married and they loved one another. Well, this is a scene, many of you are probably familiar with it, but I love it, from a Jewish couple living in Russia during the time of the end of the Tsars in the early 1900s, Jewish man named Tevya and his wife named Goldie. Please enjoy. Love. Goldie, do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? Well? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town. You're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, go lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. Uh, no, Golda, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know. But do you love me? Do I love you? Well... For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked your cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Golden, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. But my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other. And now I'm asking, Golda, do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. But do you love me? Do I love him? Well? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. Twenty-five years, my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? And you love me. I suppose I do. And I suppose I love you, too. It doesn't change a thing. But even so, after 25 years, it's nice to know. Isn't that good? Folks, here's the point. Young people, listen to me. If you simply fall into love, then you can fall out of love. But we don't fall in love. That is an emotional response due to conditions. That is a part of your relationship, that phileo love, that responsiveness, that fondness, which will be a part of your marriage if we take care of the primary love, which is agape. That is an action. That is a decision. That is an act of the will that you have complete control over. I choose to be patient with my wife, to be kind to my wife, to not be ugly to my wife. 
to take care of her needs in the Lord. And if I do those things, which I have complete control over, she, as a believer, as a person, is going to have those warm fuzzies, which is the secondary love. And then, likewise, as we're taking care of each other, the agape, on the agape, you've got the other loves built on it. But your relationship is built on that foundational love, that agape love, that act of the will. God says that never fails. How many of you have been married for longer than 50 years? Hands all over the place. How many of you, if you live long enough, wish to be married for 50 years? Yeah, that's how God designed it. And I can't speak for those of you that have been married for 50 years, but let me tell you, as I said a while ago, I've been married, I'm going on my 31st year, and my wife is just as, I don't even know the word, I'm, 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 I am more in love with her now than I was when I said I do. That's how God designed it. That's how it's supposed to be. That kind of love never wears out and never grows old. And understand where this all comes from. This is the greatest demonstration of that love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only... Folks, no man made Jesus go to the cross. Jesus could have very easily gotten away. In fact, He told Peter, Peter, put your sword in the sheath. Don't you know that I could right now call down 12 legions of angels? It was for this reason I came into the world. It wasn't Roman soldiers that nailed Jesus to the cross. It wasn't anything. It was our sin that compelled Him to demonstrate His love for us by going to the cross. Then we, as recipients of that agape love, are now to be conduits of that agape love to flow in us, to us, and through us to the world around us. It begins with our spouses.